Blog Talk Radio. August 2nd, the year is 20-fucking-20, and you're listening to the Triggered and Divided Podcast. My name is Bobby Cuomo. Here is my my confidant, my, my main man, Dylan Nave. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I like the intro today. Yeah, big fan. Hell yeah. Love me some corn, especially a special intro for our special guest. Um, today is a special podcast. Today we are doing an unorthodox um, podcast today. We're not going to do any clips. We're not going to do any issues. We're just doing one issue. We're going to interview one man. He is an ER doctor who does ER practice on the border of Arizona and Mexico. And he is a very controversial doctor. First of all, he deals exclusively with COVID patients, especially in Arizona, as cases have risen and hospitalizations have risen. Um, But his unique perspective and take on this is um, something that the internet, social media, has been banning, has been shutting down, has been um, delegating to the, uh, the delete button. They are deleting everything. So this guy thinks that masks are unnecessary, shutdowns are overblown, and COVID as a whole um, should be addressed a little bit differently, or in his case, a lot of it differently, than what we have been doing. Um, this man, who I'm not going to give you his name, just for his protection of him, his family, and his practice, unless, of course, when he comes on, he decides to say his name, because he has been um, on other podcasts with politicians, on a, a radio show, I believe, so he's been making the rounds, so I feel a very uh, privileged and blessed to have him on today. A lot of people online are uh, giving a shit for giving this man a platform, but um, I say Welcome. censorship is bullshit, right, Dylan? Yeah, yeah. Fuck those fags. So, you know, we we definitely don't want to um, censor anybody for anything they have to say. For example, um, Dylan's potty mouth. I don't condone at all. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you know, he he says what he says. Season he two. <laughs> Season two of Triggered and Divided. There are no safe spaces here. There are no safe words. So. With, uh, further ado, uh, without further ado, I want to introduce um, our esteemed guest, who we will just call Ozzy, and he is on with us right now. Ozzy, can you hear me? Hey, Bobby. How you doing? Man, doing great. Thank you for taking your time out of your day, out of your life with your family and your kids to uh, come on and uh, 
do a silly podcast with a couple of nobodies. I appreciate you. Hey, it's been it's my pleasure. You guys aren't nobodies. Love you guys. <laughs> thank you, thank you. This is actually not Ozzy's first time on the show. Um, how I met Ozzy online was through the whole 2016 bullshit that had happened with Bernie Sanders, and I had him on the show. I don't know, two or maybe three years ago to talk about. Ozzy's transition from a Bernie supporter to a Trump supporter. Um, and that was a very good podcast. So this is not his first time on, but this obviously is going to be the first time you're on speaking about the most controversial issue of our time. It feels like. So yeah, um, I, about I do appreciate you. What was that Ozzy? Yeah. Talking about the Rona. Talking about the Rona. I think pizza gate's going to be bigger than COVID. <laughs> yes. Pizzagate might in October, the October surprise will probably be bigger, but, but for now, COVID is, is what's on everybody's mind right now. Um, I want to just, before we get into um, Ozzy's testimony and, and, and everything he's been doing, I just want to tell you guys how me and him met in person. Uh, actually, Dylan and I both met Ozzy at Operation Gridlock on March 19th here in Denver, and he and another nurse actually came to that protest, both with no masks and both with a lot of opinions and I actually had asked him to come onto a podcast before, and he was really reluctant to do so. Since then, those the, the doctors that have went to Washington, D.C. and had that summit and the banning of all those videos, I felt like this is just important. I don't care if I disagree with you, and I'm going to disagree with probably everything you have to say, Ozzy, but I don't think that it's necessary to ban and to censor. And we need to hear, we need to hear voices. We need to hear you, Ozzy. All right. Well, thanks so, for having me on, so, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now at the hospital that you work in and the patients that you're dealing with COVID-related, Ozzy. Well, as of right now, or do you want me to go back like a couple months? Yeah, so, you know, let's start from the beginning. We got time. Yeah, let's start from the beginning. Okay. Tell us your story. Okay, so I'll give a real quick, you know, start back at my progression of, of how I've looked at coronavirus. You know, just like everybody else, when we start hearing about it in China, um, January, February, what have you, you know, it was something that was over there, something that seemed like it might be kind of bad, but it was going to stay in China. Then all of a sudden, here comes the memes comparing it to the Corona beer and everything else, and everybody's joking about it. And then all of a sudden, it starts popping up in Iran and Italy and Germany and places people are getting sick that had no known contact to Wuhan or known contact to anybody else with coronavirus. And that's when, you know, I'm sure it sparked everybody's attention. And in the healthcare field, especially, it began sparking our attention. Um, and then Italy starts coming out with these numbers of 10% mortality. And it seems really infectious and it seems yeah, it was scary. really fading. Oh, it was petrifying. And I remember sitting here one night, sitting in the hot tub, talking with my wife and um, talking with her about, you know, this is going to get to the United States. It's going to get to where we live. And um, if I continue to work in the ER, I'm going to get in exposed. And with the PPEs that we have and with um, the supplies that we have, it would be absolutely impossible for me not to get this virus. And so, you know, at first we entertained the idea of, hey, you know what, we got a little bit set aside, 
Um, maybe we can live frugal. I can quit my job. We can just stay in the house for three, four, five months, stock up on stuff, don't leave. And, hey, there'll be plenty of jobs afterwards because you're going to have all these dead doctors leaving <laughs> in the hospital schedule. And so my, my that, actually, yeah, that thought actually came into my mind. But then it's like I started thinking, <laughs> you know, what kind of man are you going to be if you have a good job, you signed up for a good job, uh, it's a job that takes care of you and your family well, and you do good for society. And now when society needs you the most, you decide to lock yourself in your house for three months. I think that'd make you kind of a crappy person. So we decided I'll just keep on going to work and we'll deal with what we have. So I developed this real fatalistic attitude from the very beginning of I'm going to end up getting coronavirus and my wife will end up getting it. And my kids will probably end up getting it and the chips will fall where they may. So that's, that's where I started. Um, Where would you say that would be? Was that March, April, yeah, that was probably March. That was back before the the flatten the curve came in, um, when we were first starting to get cases dinging up here and there across the country. At that time, in January and February, I was traveling all over the United States working. Um, I'd went to 11 different states in two months. Um, so I was all over the place, and we started seeing this virus popping up, and I'm like, wow, you know, I could get exposed to this thing anywhere. I come home, back down to Arizona, start working. Um, we go into that two-week to flatten the curve. But what I thought was odd about that is the only places that were really being hit were like New York and um, – I think, I think Washington. Washington. Yeah, Washington. So all these cities that were far away from everywhere started getting hit. But everywhere else had maybe one or two or three cases. And we wanted to – shut everything down to flatten the curve. And, you know, it started to look to me that there were some of these places that we were trying to flatten the curve where there was no curve even starting. You know, there just were essentially no cases. And so I, I started I bet, questioning the... I would argue Arizona was one of those. At the very exactly. beginning, you, you guys had barely any cases. I remember you posting that it was a ghost town in your hospitals. Oh, wasn't the wasn't the flatten the curve initiative to help ease hospital stress? It was, it was, and so here's here's my question: is um, with the shutdowns, with the masks, is what is the goal and the end point of these? The goal is to stop the virus. If people think we can stop the virus and arrest it in its tracks, get down to zero infections then I would be the first to argue that the shutdowns that we did were were um, very half-assed, to just put it, put it um, bluntly. If our goal was to extinguish this virus, eradicate it from our population, um, we should have probably declared martial law, put people on house arrest for three to four months. Um, if you leave your house, you get arrested and you get detained until the Till the pandemic is over, however long that takes. If you do need to leave your house for a medical emergency, you need to call emergency services and people in hazmat suits come and pick you up and take you to the hospital and you stay there until this pandemic is over. I mean, I think that would be the kind of, of steps that would be necessary to stop COVID-19. 
Ozzy, would you have, have would you have supported that if that was what was implemented um, right away? Would you have supported that? Um, with what we ha- we're seeing in in Italy, if you're looking at a virus that's so contagious that you come in contact with a couple viral particles and you get it and it has a 10% mortality, um, you just kind of run the numbers in your head and you're looking at a minimum of 50% in the country getting it. So you're looking at 150, 170 million people getting it and then 10% death rate. We're looking at what, like 10, yeah, 10 million. million people dead. Dead. And yeah. So if you're looking at if you're looking at something that's going to kill 10, 20 million people in three, four months, then yeah, I, I'd say lock it down. This going to Lowe's and Home Depot and going to your sh- to the grocery okay. store every. So you think you think right off the bat something like that would have been necessary? I just want to interrupt you for a second. I want to take our. I know that you're you're telling your whole story and let's we'll t- you'll tell your whole story bits and pieces of this whole podcast. But I do want to take phone calls as they come because okay. I feel like it's important because most people don't have the opportunity to talk to someone like you, Ozzy. These videos, they link them and they're gone in seconds. You know what I mean? So I, I feel like I it's understand. important. Yeah. So let's take a phone. We're taking a call from the area code 607. You're on the Trigger and Divided podcast with uh, Bobby and hey, Dylan and our Bobby? special guest, Ozzy. This is Bobby. Oh, hey. Is this Bobby and Ozzy? Bobby and Ozzy and Dylan, who's calling us? What's your name? All righty. Hey, Dylan, too. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, no, see, well, there's so many different factors about this coronavirus thing. I mean, I guess one question I would ask is, what do you think about hydroxychloroquine? I died pretty <laughs> much. Yes. I'm sorry, yeah, what? Ozzy, take the question. What do you think about hydrochloroquine? What's your What's your expert opinion? Well, you know, this is some initial studies came out that it was very promising. And, um, you know, of course, Trump jumped on hydroxychloroquine, and I think he was even taking it. Um, I, I enrolled in a study um, right off the bat where I was, could be taking hydroxychloroquine. Two-thirds of the docs um, would take it. One-third were getting a vitamin tablet. To this day, I don't know which one I had, but um, I took the... Oh, oh, you were in a double-blind sort of study. Exactly. So to this day, I don't know which group I was in. But, hey, there's a two-thirds chance I was taking hydroxychloroquine. And um, I took that all through the peak of our our COVID surge down where I'm working. And um, I, I never personally got sick with that while I was taking hydroxychloroquine, um, I, I got sick pretty closely after I quit taking the what might be hydroxychloroquine versus the um, placebo. And so that's how okay, that's, yeah, that's not proof of anything, but it's kind of exactly. highly indicative that you, there's a good chance that the, the hydroxychloroquine helps, you know, prophylactically or even, I mean, you said you didn't get any symptoms before that. I'll mention that um, oh, from eh, mid to late February to for about four weeks, I had an extremely runny nose, extremely. And a lot of people were complaining about their allergies, but nothing was really blossoming then. I, you know, was it was it mold from the ground? No, 
Probably not. I think I had the thing. But, you know, mm-hmm. a runny nose, I didn't go to the doctor with that. And I'm not looking for a vaccine. Do you think that an RNA vaccine is even possible, given that this is basically, it might be a weaponized form, but it's basically the common head cold. If they could create a vaccine for that, wouldn't they have done that 50 years ago? Or is an RNA virus just sort of that inscrutable? Well, my thing on, I, I agree. I think it's going to be really hard to try to get a effective virus for this um, infection. And we're already starting to see uh, docs and other people talking about, oh, there's no proof of lasting immunity um, with an infection to COVID-19. I, I ended up getting into a little tiff with my supervisor. Um, we ended up working the same same shift, me and my boss, and, and we had a employee that returned from her month convalescent period with COVID-19. And um, she was putting on all of her PPE and getting all donned up. And I made a comment to her. I'm like, hey, you know what? You've had coronavirus. You're safe. You don't even have to worry about that. We, you should be the one that we're sending in to see all the COVID patients. My supervisor right. physician's like, mm, you know, there's no evidence that this is going to provide lasting immunity. Antibodies tend to go away in three months. My response to that is, is an infection typically causes a stronger immune response than a vaccine. That's why you get multiple MMRs. You get multiple um, chicken Absolutely, pox. yeah. So, so right. I, I agree it, with that. I agree with that. And I think that, you know, if, if the vaccine or if the virus rather might be slowly mutating as viruses like to do, then infection with one strain of it might help protect you against the next strain. And if you're just sort of constantly infected, then you're just keeping your immune system on its toes. You need to get your vitamin D3. And, you know, if there's a real risk, I mean, I, well, I'm not going to go into cancer with you because that's not the subject, but, um, <laughs> thank you. I was, I was going to go, I was going to, I'm just going to mention, uh, immune system response and the importance of vitamin D3 and being able to produce GCMAF so that your, you know, macrophages do their duty and, you know, beat up on the little critters that it's like, I don't know. What do you think about uh, vitamin therapy, um, uh, other naturopathic uh, approaches? I'm I'm not. I've never been a big vitamin um, advocate. I don't personally take them myself, but I do try to eat a a natural food, whole food type diet. I've got a garden going, so I get fresh vegetables. And so what I've been doing to take care of myself during this um, pandemic is I get out and get a couple hours of sun every day um, if I can. I work 12-hour shifts, so it's kind of hard sometimes during work. I make sure I eat tons of fresh whole foods, not whole foods mm-hmm. the grocery store, of course, but whole foods, natural foods, and um, and just try to stay active drink a lot of coffee, drink a little wine, and chill in my hot tub. 
Well, Ozzy, let me let me follow, let me follow right. up. I mean, let me follow like up to the caller's question. I'm sorry. What? Let me follow up on on the caller's on question. Have you, Ozzy, seen anyone at your hospital that you're working at who's had zero health issues, previous health issues, healthy, eats healthy, all that kind of thing, and has had COVID, died from COVID, or has been hospitalized for COVID for a very long time? Have you seen that kind of situation? Well, as far as working there, or just that I've seen. Um, so have you seen? So. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I'll get, we'll fast forward through my little um, evolution, how I viewed COVID. Um, but I did see somebody, I, I do this, I go up to Colorado and work for seven days every, every 28 days. And so it's been a nice little way to kind of abbreviate what I've been seeing. But um, a couple, two trips from Colorado ago, I came home. And when I left, I had seen my first critically ill COVID patient. It was somebody that I had to intubate. They were young, but they were not healthy. They had tons of comorbidities and health problems. Um, when I was in Colorado, I found out that this person tested positive for COVID. I had not used any. They were really young. They had been isolated. I didn't suspect COVID. I used no precautions. I didn't use a face shield, a mask. A, I, I had my glasses just so I could see better what I was doing and a pair of gloves, and that's it. And I'm down in wow. this guy's face intubating him. Um, so real super high-risk exposure. Well, yeah, that's I go wild. to Colorado. Yeah, it, was, it kind of freaked me out initially. I was thinking, well, I just got this, but never did. Um, so I came back from that Very trip. Good. I was going for seven days, and I walk in, and I see this physician I work with, and he's a, he's a powerhouse. Uh, nothing phases him. He's he's done um, he's done flight flight he's been a flight physician he's done it all. I walk in he had worked the night shift and he had this look of shell shock on his face like he just watched his entire platoon get get annihilated and we typically talk we're good friends. He's like hey I just I just got done intubating my third patient um, I'm out of here and he just walks out the door and. I, oh wow! I'm like, yeah, this Ow. is different because this is not the hospital I left just seven days prior to this. Um, and so the very first person that walked through the door was a gentleman who was ten years younger than me. He was a um, he worked at one of the local farms, so he was a farm hand. Looked like he worked for a living, muscular, had no known health problems, looked like he was in good shape. Like I said, ten years younger than me. And he came in with the lowest oxygen levels I've ever seen in my entire life, ever. I've done CPR on people that were blue, and we were getting better pulse ox readings than this guy had. Just so and he, just it. just stand just being um, coherent. He had the lowest oxygen level you've ever seen. Like he was. Yeah, he was. He was talking to us. He was walking in. I didn't crazy. believe the reading that we got, and we ended up getting. Um, a blood gas on him and the blood gas confirmed what we were seeing on our pulse ox and it was absolutely petrifying and this is the first patient I saw coming back so I had left seven days earlier seeing my first critically ill patient but most of the patients we saw were either not COVID or if they were COVID were just very mild cases and um, so this guy I, I didn't follow up on him um, so I don't know if he lived or died but I'd be highly 
surprised if he survived. Um, and that just, that really rocked me because I'm a healthy guy, but I'm 48. This guy was 10 years younger than me and, and having this bad of, bad of a time, we took care of him. The next patient I saw was critically ill. The patient after that was critically ill. The next two were older people with, they were obese, they were diabetic. That's what you don't want to be doing this is obese and diabetic. Um, those are the people that are having the worst times. But that entire shift was just sick COVID patient after sick COVID patient. And I came home, you know, I'd, I'd been a little more cavalier about things prior to this. And I came home, my wife, my cousin, my daughter were all sitting in the living room. And I walk in the door and I just look at them and I go, yeah, we're all screwed. This is horrible. There's no stopping this. It's going to burn through every community and it's going to wreak havoc. And as soon as I talked, my daughter, who doesn't actually live with us, she lives down the block, she just instantly got up and left. And she's come over to visit me a couple times, but um, she keeps her distance from me and doesn't doesn't come up to give me a hug or anything like that. I have it really, it really it, has. A, it's affected muted? the family units. It what, has. Am I still saying. muted? Oh, you're not. No, you're not muted. I was just letting Ozzy answer the question. Do you have any more uh, questions for Ozzy? Well, I, I certainly have a comment. Yeah, I haven't seen my daughter in a few months to see hmm, sheltering in place. Um, Jesus. And that's really, really hard. And I think that's three quarters of the purpose of this thing. Um, they're and trying to isolate people. I'm Is sorry, what? I, and I, I personally think that's quite tragic. I mean, if your daughter doesn't have any significant health risks, um, if you don't have any significant health risks, I think it's actually absolutely criminal to keep family members I, apart I, from each other. I, I think this whole thing basically sucks, and it's more of a psychological operation than anything. I do understand that this particular <clears throat> strain of coronavirus, which is usually told, and we've all had one, and more people die from flu. How many people died from flu this year? Oh, hardly any. They all died from corona. There's a psychological yeah. operation going on. Um, there is, and uh, I'm sorry, go that on. There I, is, I, that, that there is. But the one thing about the flu that is um, the one thing about the flu compared to coronavirus is is in my 15 years as an ER physician. I have probably seen just as many people critically ill from the flu as I saw in a six-week period dealing with coronavirus. So it was 15 right. years well, of critically ill flu patients condensed into six weeks. And hey, also okay. I want to fact, yeah, I want no, to fact that, check. That's, that's a hold on, caller. That's, I, I, I want to fact check that. you real quick. I want to fact check you real quick. So I did. Um, I did just look up how many uh, flu deaths there have been this year. And I have um, just uh, I've compared them to see how long, uh, how many uh, flu deaths there were last year. And it's similar. So I don't know what statistic you were looking up or what. Is what it, it really? Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, you know, maybe I'll have to fact check myself. But from what yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to demonize you, but I'm just 
they yeah. sort of rolled a bunch of influenza and viral pneumonia patients. And I've also I've seen video where the representative from the CDC admits that if you die in a motorcycle accident but you test positive for corona, it's a corona-related death. Yeah, and also I, I, would, I would imagine that when they that's, that's very for, rare. Well, well, that is kind of rare, but what's less rare is people just having the common cold and it testing positive for corona, even if it's not this particular strain that was weaponized. If, we know it's Fort Detrick, then in Winnipeg, then Wuhan. Hold on. I'm not even close to a doctor. I'm a high school educated person, and even I understand that influenza antibodies in the body appear differently to a test than COVID antibodies. There's there's no well, way that they're saying a flu test will pass test positive for COVID-19. No, no, that's true. No, no, but, but what I'm saying is that the COVID tests are highly unreliable. We, I think we've all heard the stories about, uh, I think it was the health minister from Kenya tested a papaya or a pawpaw, we're not really sure, and a goat <laughs> and a bird, and they all tested positive. About Did that this, actually happen? Nerve. Yes, yes. It's, <sighs> it's pretty uh, confirmed. You know, look, I th- I'm pretty sure it was Tanzania. Some something tells me it might have been Tanzania, but I think it was Tanzania. Yeah, it's Tanzania's um, president. And then there was this this nurse that like who was put on corona testing uh, duty, and the first test, first ten tests, all came back positive. And so she was like, "Hmm, this is suspicious," because those people are pretty asymptomatic. And so she sent in two unswabbed swabs. And they both came back positive. So to touch base on you your, know, uh, on the Tanzia, that, so I'm just reading this. And testing, test, well, no, testing kits did come back with a goat and papaya testing positive, but the president yeah, then kind said of there were tech, the president then said there were technical errors. So I'm not one. I mean that is super interesting, and you read stuff like that, and it kind of just feeds right into the conspiracies and the disbelief that any of this is true. But I just want to—I definitely want to cut cut through the conspiracies on this podcast, just so we're you know we're keeping everything factual and. Well, you, know you mean? mean you want to eliminate any discussion of what conspiracy there might be? Well, no, no, no. We, we, we have this podcast literally to host that discussion. Yeah, so stating, I, I, when I meant so stating that we try to stifle it is is besides the point. Oh, we're, okay. you know, we're engaging yeah. in it. I meant I'm um, so, cut through the conspiracies. I mean. Let's, when you mention a conspiracy, I'm going to look it up, and then we'll discuss if it's true or not, and then we'll move okay, on from there. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, us, us weird conspiracy theorists are not necessarily unreasonable. <laughs> exactly. I love All you right, guys. Cool. Thank you for hey. having this. Hey, thank yeah. you so much for calling us in, and uh, we appreciate your questions for Ozzy. You take care, brother. All right. Take care, Bobby and Dylan and Ozzy, and Abby, thank you for being on the air. Hello? Not a problem. Thank you. Ozzy, you still with us? I sure am. Oh, Enjoying awesome. every minute of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I wanted to touch, I kind of wanted to touch um, a, a topic that really kind of began with this last caller, and I want to talk about the emotional 
um, distress that this is causing on families. I actually had no idea that you and your daughter have been kind of separated for months like this. Um, yeah, tell, I, have, tell me, I, have two, yeah. I have two daughters. One of them that actually works, she's got a, a master's in microbiology, and she works for a health department of a major city. And she she hasn't isolated from me at all. Um, she still brings my grandbabies down and lets me see them, and, and they're actually here right now. Um, but then my younger daughter, who works in a restaurant, she sees a lot, a lot of her clientele are older people. So, and her husband or her soon-to-be husband is a, is a fire chief. And so he can't afford to get sick. She, she only comes to my house briefly. She tries to stay well six feet away from me. Um, so we've had no started. I haven't given her a hug. haven't, um, patted her on the shoulder. She'll see, she'll still come over and see me briefly. But typically, it's on days she knows I, I'm not working, so she's not going to walk in and see me still in my scrubs that I wore all day in the hospital yeah. while I was taking care of COVID patients. You know, in the beginning of this whole thing, and I was going to capture the clip and play the audio clip of Dr. Fauci, but I decided not to. But I, but I remember him saying in the very beginning that you should only wear masks and you should only socially distance if you are sick or taking care of someone who is sick. When do you think it turned and changed from that moment to now being completely separated from everyone? Like I have, I have a six month and a two year old and we can't, we don't allow them to play with other kids. And, you know, I I have my own opinions on it, but, you know, I just try to, you know, be on the, the side of caution and, and just be, you know, super safe. But where, where do you think, why do you think it went from, you know, we could, we could be around other people, don't wear masks, to now everybody wears masks, everybody socially distanced, everybody stay in their house? I think that when we became fixated on the number of cases and the number of positive tests and how rapidly everything was exploding, and we lost sight of what the initial goal was, which was to keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. And I think that there's this thought process in people's minds that if everybody just does these things, we can stop this virus and we can go back to normal. Um, I don't believe it's possible to stop this virus. I think that yeah, you, you here, think this virus is unstoppable. I do. And so some people think that I come from my point of ignorance or optimism. And actually I come to my standpoints on this from a, from a stance of, great pessimism, actually. Uh, I see that from the very beginning, I've been predicting that we are going to be lucky if 250,000 people die. Lucky. That's that's best case scenario. We're at 160 right now. <laughs> that so, ain't shit. That isn't, right. even any, that isn't even shit. Like, that's not even that many people. <laughs> So when they first were predicting this coming, if you listen to Fauci, he was predicting, you know, 1.4 to 2.8 million people dead from coronavirus. Now we hit 160, yet the media has morphed this into this great human tragedy. You know, Dylan, you were in the military. If, if, a, if a general comes up and told the president, hey, we can take this beach, but we're going to lose 100,000 men. And the decision is it's worth losing 100,000 men to take this beach. And then all of a sudden you come back with only 10,000 dead. 
it, wouldn't it be kind of disingenuous for the president, whoever, to start criticizing the general for losing 10,000 troops when they initially thought they were going to lose 100,000? It depends. Were they Marines or soldiers? Because they don't give a oh, fuck if they're Marines. <laughs> Dylan Dave is a Marine for anyone who doesn't know. So, I mean, you got to look at where they thought we were going to be. Two and a half million dead, possibly, worst case scenario, um, when it first started with the United States. Now we're at 160. I still am holding pretty firm that we're going to have about 250,000 dead by the time this is over. Um, and so... The part of this with the social distancing and closing and the mask is 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 the purpose of that to stop it. If the purpose is to stop it, then we are not being aggressive enough. If the purpose is to slow it down, um, then my question is, is slowing it down really the right thing to do? If If we're slowing it down so we can get a vaccine, that's one end point. But if you're slowing it down just to prolong this, what ultimate good is that going to do? Um, if if this, I, I'm a big believer that we've got to get to herd immunity. Until we get to herd immunity, this is going to continue to wreak havoc with us. Ozzy, I want to so question it, you about herd immunity real quick. Um, some of the studies I've been re- I've been reading is that they don't have enough evidence right now to determine or not if herd immunity will work because they don't know if the immunity that you gain from the antibodies from getting COVID initially lasts even more than a couple of months. Have, have you heard anything about uh, that? You... Yeah, and I kind of alluded to that with that one lady that um, worked at our hospital. So let me play devil's advocate with you. Let's say there is no lasting immunity from the infection. That's let's frightening. Say there is only, let's say there is only two or three months of immunity. Um, but there's more to immunity than just antibodies. There's your T, memory T cells and other things also. And like your other caller mentioned in macrophages. So there's different parts of the immune system. But let's say there is no lasting immunity from the infection. If there is no lasting immunity from the infection, the, the vaccine that they develop is going to be wholly ineffectual also. Maybe we'll get two or three or four months worth of immunity from a vaccine. So now we're going to be in a position to where all life on earth is dependent upon some vaccine manufacturer who, who you have to go visit every two to four months just to survive, that seems like a pretty powerful position to be in. Yeah, if we think masks are controversial right now, wait until we hit the vaccine stage of this whole thing. And so, so, if, so if there is no lasting immunity to the coronavirus, then there is going to be no effective vaccine if you have not had coronavirus, you're going to get coronavirus. And if you've had it in the past, you're going to get it again. And so at this point, um, everything we're doing is just futile. And I would argue at that point, pretend like corona doesn't even exist. Go about your life because you're going to get it. And otherwise, we're gonna, our economy is going to fall apart. Our food production is going to fall apart. Um, we're going to disintegrate into into riots and social discourse, and people will be breaking into your house to steal your food. But do you think then, I mean, because we were talking about how these viruses morph and they mutate and they turn into something different, kind of like in 1918, the initial flu that, that came out didn't kill children. 
And in the winter of that year, it did kill children. I think 196,000 Americans died in one month um, from, from that flu in 1918. And it was, it was something completely different than we had dealt with in the beginning. Do you think that there's the possibility? I mean, I know that you, like, I know you support, what's his name? Daniel McCarthy in Arizona. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Is that kind of what he thinks? He just wants to go back to normal because and if we just ignore it and because it's inevitable, it's because it's inevitable. If we ignore it, then we can at least have, you know, take the stranglehold off of our society and off of our commerce. Is that kind of his, his opinion on things or what's, what's going on with him? With that? I do think, I, I do think that's kind of his opinion. I think that, um, you know, just like a lot of people who haven't seen this personally, um, it, a lot of people doubt because there's a there's changing information um there's different narratives if you listen it's weird you know i'm sitting in arizona working in a place that was heavy hit with coronavirus going in and seeing patients every day with coronavirus and if i was not watching the news or social media i would have not really thought it was that bad but when i listen to the news it sounds like Arizona is falling apart and in a state of apocalypse and I'm living it and did not see that. So do you so think, so there's, there's places like Sweden, for example, who have chosen not to socially distance and chose not to shut anything down. And when you look at their charts, you look at the graphs and it spiked and then it went down. Why is it that it is the reason why you think that we should keep everything open in America kind of that, that reason for the whole stranglehold on society of it being a longevity thing, because we're not doing, we're not doing the shutdown full through, like you said earlier, you wanted martial law, that kind of thing. Do you think that it's, we're just kind of trickling through this and instead of just getting the initial huge spike and then ending it? That's exactly how I think. If you look at like the town I live, the town where I work, so I, I, and, and I think that how we have viewed this as a national issue or even a state issue is, is not the best way we could have dealt with this. I, I, live, in, I live and work in the same county. It's, um, the town I live in is a town of 60,000 people, and then 50 miles away is a town of 17,000 people. Um, they're geographically isolated just by open desert, but free movement if people want to. The town where I work, what we saw is we saw just a few cases, um, gradual increase, went to seeing one case a week, then one case a day, and then all of a sudden it bloomed, and we're seeing 10, 15, 20 cases in a day. And this went on for four to six weeks, and then we started to see the number of cases go down. And now, the last time I went to work, I saw probably four COVID patients. And all four of them went home. And so not only do you see this huge spike and then this decrease, but it appears that the thickest of the COVID patients are the ones that hit the system first and start coming in. And so not only do you get hit with a large number, but you also get hit with a large proportion of really sick people. But then it just kind of dies out. Um, and we're not seeing that at anywhere around the 50 to 60% uh, that you'd expect with herd immunity. Um, in a town of 17,000, we are now up at about 700 confirmed cases. 
and we're already seeing the downslide that's significant. Are you afraid you that like, – so you mentioned earlier, and I know there's kind of uh, controversial studies on if you could get it again. So you, you believe that we can get it again? Is there evidence of this? I don't necessarily do believe you can get it again. And I think if you do get it again, it's going to be on a much milder illness. Um, I think because it's not just antibodies, you have your T memory cells, which they, they are cells that they help fight your infection. Um, They stimulate the production of B cells. And then those are the ones that produce antibodies. So these T cells, once they see an infection and that infection has gone, they just go back and chill in your lymph nodes, your spleen, wherever. They reduce their numbers, and they just hang out until they're needed again for the next battle. And if they see proteins that they remember, then they begin to replicate themselves, and they are able to mount an immune response. So I don't think we're going to see complete and total immunity, but I think you're going to see a vigorous immune response in the future, you may have a period of time where you're completely immune to COVID-19, and then you'll see a period to where you just um, have reduced symptoms and it becomes more like your common respiratory virus to you. That's okay. What, what about – so this, there's different strains of this, of this virus, correct? Yes. From what I understand, yes. there's, there's like five or six now. Yeah, so the one that that happened in, say, Italy or New York City is probably a different strain that hit Colorado. So let's just say I get COVID here in Colorado. I am hospitalized for 14 days. I live. And you're saying, okay, if I were to get it again, I could pro- I'll probably – it'll be less symptomatic and I'll, and I'll be able to battle it better. What if I get the strain from New York after not, never having it before? but have had COVID before the, you know, the other strain. I think, I think there's still going to be some, um, some added immunity to that too. Uh, you'd probably get a little sicker having a different strain than the strain you initially had, but I think you'd still have some immune response to it. Do you think there's a possibility that there'll be a new strain in the coming months that'll make New York, Italy look like child's play? Um, I don't know. I'd hate to think that that was the case. If it is, then all of this is for nothing, isn't it? <laughs> um, <but laughs> yes, I don't, it really is. I, I don't think so. Um, I think, if anything, the virus might be weakening this time. And okay. Because, you know, the medical field likes to tout all of their advances in, in how we treat patients as why we're seeing decreased mortality rates. But I think it's more that we're testing more, so we're getting more of those minimally ill patients added to the numbers, which is then dropping the mortality rate. And I think the virus might be um, attenuating a little bit. Okay. Well, let's have a little fun. I know that we've kind of touched hydrochloroquine a little bit, but I kind of want to talk a little bit more deeper with you about your opinions on the drug and the message and the reason why the media is going absolutely nuts about it and whatnot. But I, I, so I did, I actually told you I didn't download any audio clips, but I did download two. Did download two. Liar! <laughs> hey, it's Andrew Schultz. You, you, Andrew Schultz is the funniest comedian on earth right now. So I'm going to go ahead and play clip one of Andrew Schultz talking about hydrochloroquine, and then we'll get your thoughts on it. 
Hydroxychloroquine, what the fuck are you? This week, Dr. Fauci crawled out of his tree stump, saw his shadow, and declared three more months of coronavirus. Before retreating, he threw out a first pitch that looked like Walt Jr. got struck by lightning, and somehow it wasn't the worst pitch in the Capitol. America's frontline doctors, or as they're known in medical school, the dumb kids, descended on D.C. to tell the world schools can open, we don't need to wear masks, and corona has a cure. This suicide squad, a strip mall scientist with completely objective a few points just happen to be funded by the Tea Party Patriots, which sounds a lot more like Epstein's Fourth of July party than a conservative think tank. The most charismatic of the doctors without diplomas, Stella Emanuel, fresh off a bottle of syrup, claimed that you don't need to wear a mask and hydroxychloroquine cures corona. Believe all women! Uh, Ozzy, what are your thoughts? Well, as far as... um, as far as all that goes, I I think that the – I'm still kind of out on the hydroxychloroquine. I think if a physician wants to prescribe it, they should be allowed to do so. I don't think I it's going to be – I don't think it's a cure for all. Um, I know physicians who are taking it themselves who had access to it. I know physicians who have offered that they would give me some if I end up getting sick with it. So, so you have physicians and some that I respect immensely who believe in it enough to where they would take it, they would give it to a family member, but they don't believe in it enough to where they're going to run amok with the medical board and prescribe it to people and um, risk getting in any kind of trouble over it. So I think the, the jury is still out with whether hydroxychloroquine works or not. Um, have you ever just, so have you ever I'm, prescribed it to anybody for anything? I have not. No. I mean, when I was in in residency, when we took care of people, um, I'd prescribe Plaquenil for autoimmune diseases. Uh, it's it's a real common drug. It's something yeah, hydrochloroquine was a uh, was an over the counter drug in France, and I was reading the other day that in France they actually took it off the market in January before any of this was a controversy to begin with. And it was taken off the, the the shelves and made into a controlled substance. And doctors in France, I was reading, have never seen anything like that before. So they knew something yeah. prior to the controversy here in America. Something was going on. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of odd. Um, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist, you'd argue that you know it's a cheap drug. It has no patent on it. Um, there's no money to be made in it. Um, but another thing that I think you could also argue is is a lot of times drug companies are granted um, extended patents on certain drugs that are highly profitable, but in exchange for doing that, they've got to make these other drugs that have been on the market so long um, that they really have no profit whatsoever, and in some cases, they can actually lose money. So you you have these facilities that are producing a drug that they might be selling for less than they make it for. And if that's the drug that now becomes the, the, that's selling billions of pills, that might not be that good for the whole industry. So if you want to run down the conspiracy. Yeah, that's a big one. Hey, look, Ozzy, anytime I see something, a video, an article, anything that is banned across the board on, on all the social media outlets, I mean, they're all competing against each other, yet they're all in line with this, that they don't want these videos to be seen. They don't want these doctors in D.C. who are talking about whatever the hell they're talking about. It shouldn't even matter. 
You know, when you take away their platform, their platform be explodes. Like, what's your take on the banning of that video? Um, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a fan of any kind of censorship like that. I, it, all it does is is if their information is terrible, by banning it, you end up giving credence to it, and people who are less informed may take that more seriously. That is and, exactly what I'm seeing. And and some of the stuff she says, I don't necessarily disagree with. I think the school should be open. Um, we should kids kids could be at back in school with no restrictions, no social distancing, no masks. Just let kids go and be kids. And actually, they could be a, if they do get the infection, it's going to be super mild. Um, there's exceedingly low numbers of children who have had negative outcomes with coronavirus. Um, and they could actually be a great part of the herd to to develop herd immunity and protect grandma. You know, people are looking at that as these kids could go to school and get grandma sick. But guess what? They could also be the stop gate that stops grandma from getting sick. That's an interesting take. I've also thought to myself, why is it that no children, no young people are dying from this? And also, when um, the World Health Organization came out with that study that said that asymptomatic people re- share, the sim- share the disease very, very rarely. And then the next day, they retracted that story. And that kind of like made me like raise my eyebrow a little bit. I'm like, why would they even come out with that story? And then the next day, retract it if it wasn't true to begin with. So like, that's my concern is, you know, we're, we're shutting all these children into their homes. And for us, that's not normal. But for them... This is normal. This is getting normalized at lightning quick speed. And it's affecting families. It's, it's affecting the economic stability of households. I mean, people have to go back to work. People have to send their ch- children need to learn. And most families are not equipped to homeschool their kids. And they're not equipped to, to have daycare for their kids when they're at work. They can't afford it. I know I won't be able to afford it. So we're just we're in between a rock and a hard place here. Because if you send the kids back and then we have these huge outbreaks – you know, the blame game. And and here's the thing is, is before we opened up in Arizona, um, I was never arguing that, Oh, it's safe to open up. We're not going to see a surge. My thing is, yeah, you're going to open up and you're going to see a surge and it's going to go away. I think if we open up schools, you will see a increase in cases. Um, You'll even in places where they have shut back down, like here in Arizona, our governor, um, he ended up, allowing local governments to mandate masks. He shut down the bars and the theaters and the gyms and stuff. And the day he did that was two days before we peaked. Our numbers were going through the roof. We were hitting three, 4,000 a day. We peaked out at 5,000, like 5,500 new cases per day at our peak. And that peak was two days after he made all these decrees. But what they've been telling us forever is that what you see in these charts is delayed by 14 days. So two days after he does these mandates that lock everything down and allow our local governments to force us to wear masks, um, you start seeing them drop in our numbers. So that's clearly due to something that happened 10 days prior to prior. him. Prior, so yeah. He, he just blinked. He got scared. People were, people were giving him um, a lot of pressure. People were completely inundating him and accusing him of killing people, and he blinked, and he put these in. If you would have just held firm for a couple more days, 
you would have started to see the numbers drop. And we would have still been going off the backside without this. Um, I mean, the numbers so in Arizona think, are not at peak levels like they were. Um, like, for example, today, I think you guys only had 1,200 cases. I think that's represented for yesterday or whatever. But, I mean, a few yeah. days ago, you had, you had close to 4,000 cases. So, I mean, it goes up and down. So, I'm not yeah, sure. I, I, mean, I know that you want to be optimistic about it, but I don't think you're out of yeah. the water quite yet. No, but I'm just seeing what I'm seeing on the ground. And part of it, like I go back to this, um, even looking at a county level, the town I live in, that's 70,000 people. We've only got 250 confirmed cases so far. So once, and they did mandate masks, and they did close the bars. So let's say we do that for the next two, three months. Our numbers are going to stay low. And then the second they let up on that and they let us back in the bars, they let us go back to what theaters and gyms. Once they get rid of the mask mandate, then we're going to see that peak that they saw down where I work. Um, we will go from having by that time, probably 500 cases over the next couple months to we'll start seeing hundreds a day. And so I think, that's going to happen if we open up tomorrow or if we open up in three months. And so these numbers you're seeing is this hits a community. It's not a statewide. It's not a nationwide. It's not even a worldwide. I think if we start looking at this from a community level, we could get a better understanding of this. Um, Let your community go about its life as normal. And then once the virus gets in and if it starts wreaking havoc with your hospital system and your EMS system, then lock it down locally in that area and use it kind of as a way to damper how fast it's spreading. Because I don't think you're going to stop it. But I think you could with – and so I'm kind of anti-mask, as everybody probably knows. Yeah, um, let's talk about initially, masks. Okay. So my philosophy initially on masks were, you know, these, these cheap-ass surgical masks or the cloth masks that everybody's using. When, I, when we thought the virus was highly contagious – those masks would have done nothing. They would have been futile at stopping it. And it's just, and I'm completely just aggravated by people doing something just to do something. If you're not going to do something that's effective, don't do it at all. So my initial thought on these were these masks aren't going to stop anything. You need like a full like virology mask or virology suit that you see at the Wuhan virus or Wuhan lab to stop it. Now, I, I think what we're seeing is that the virus isn't quite as, as infective as we thought it was initially, and so maybe masks can help to slow it. Um, well, what do you think about other countries to- like South Korea, Japan, um, fuck, Iran and Italy? I mean, they went hardcore on their masks, and their numbers went down drastically. I mean, I know Iran not so much right now. They're having a, another surge, but... In, the, in several countries where it hit early on, they, they just locked it down with masks. I mean, it's like kind of their culture there in Asia. I mean, so what, right. what's your opinion there? They're, why do you think – I mean, a lot of people saying that, well, they, their immigration is different from us, so they don't have people coming in from over the world. But Donald Trump shut down China's travel here on January 31st. And, he's about to shut down TikTok too. And he's about to shut down TikTok. But in the last couple months, we haven't had tra- – travel here has been very minimal. Tourism here has been very little. So why is it that in America we're seeing we're, – we're no longer seeing the curve drop. We're seeing it increase. 
because we, we all just wore we masks. Opened back up. I, we opened up. I, it, South Korea never opened closed up, down. Soon... Japan never closed down. They just wore masks. They just That's wore just masks. That's just a normal part of their fucking culture, bro. Yeah, so I, I think that masks could help slow the progression of this. But with as widespread as it is in the United States, are we going to slow it enough to where it goes away? Um, that's that's my thing is is slowing it down. What's the ultimate outcome of this slowing it down? Yeah, are we slowing it down just till we get a vaccine? Are we slowing it down thinking that we can eventually just eradicate it? Um, no, we were told are we, just, we were told we're supposed to slow it down so we don't stress you out, Ozzy. So we stress hospitals out. Are you stressed out? I was I was really stressed out for about four weeks. Going to work, I got my butt kicked for about four weeks out of this whole time. Dude, the rest of the time, I've been sitting there doing nothing, making money for doing almost nothing. Um, prior to coronavirus, the ER where I work at used to average mm-hmm. 35 patients in a 24-hour period. Um, back in April and May, uh, we were down to seeing maybe eight or nine patients in a 24-hour period. That's crazy. So I, I, re- I remember I remember hearing and reading like some of uh, the people I know in the, in the um, medical field telling me that they got laid off. EMT, I know, got laid off because there was just there yeah, was no work, there was no work to be done. Our hospital is hemorrhaging money. I mean, it's it's. I make a very good salary, and I get that salary whether I whether I'm busting my ass or whether I'm sitting there on the internet. I make the exact same amount of money. I don't get paid on production. Um, I get paid by my hour. And so, if I show up to work and see five patients in a 12-hour shift, I have just taken a significantly larger amount of money from the hospital than they made off of my labors. And you, you, yeah, you multiply that by, by, um, you know, three months, four months, and the hospitals are really starting to feel the pinch. So then once, once we did get Corona hit our town real heavy, yeah, the volume went up. We were seeing some really sick patients but it still didn't go up to the point that it was pre-corona. And we look at states like, like Arizona, prior to um, even getting hit with the spike of corona, if you look at our ICU usage, when we were seeing 400 to 500 new corona cases per day before our uptick, we were already at 60% occupancy for our ICUs without corona on a good day in the middle of the wind in the middle of the summer when the hospitals are essentially dead we were still at 60 percent for icu so what are you at right now um where am i i'm in arizona right now no i know that what percent (laughs) sorry what bad interviewer here what percent of of uh of hospitalizations are you at right now icu beds i mean Within, I looked a couple of days ago, and we were at about 82 percent. Um, we peaked at 91 percent of our ICU beds being full. Okay. And you so do wear masks. Are, are you required to wear masks in your hospital? Well, 
Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, we're required to wear a mask. We're required to wear full PPE and all that kind of stuff. Um, I work at, since the COVID thing has happened, I've worked at one, two, three, four, four different hospitals. And if you look at, look at them, if there's supervisors around, mask compliance is a hundred percent. If you, um, if there's a lot of patients in the hospital, mask compliance is at a hundred percent. But when people go back and work at their specific workstation, they're not necessarily leaving their masks on. Um, you know, patients, we require patients to wear masks, but personally, if you come into the ER and you're not wearing a mask, I'm not going to force you to wear one. What some, about some when you're dealing with a, a, so when you're in a room with a, a patient who has COVID, who has tested positive for COVID, what is your policy on you wearing a mask? Because I know that you said that, well, if they are positive, there's no reason why I should wear a mask. So, so this is what I personally do, not the policy of my hospital. But oh, of course. When I, go in to, when I go in to see a patient who's been documented to have coronavirus, we know it 100% that they have it. I typically wear a mask, just a simple surgical mask, and I wear just nitrile gloves. I don't put on a gown. I don't put on a face shield. And I go into the room like that. Um, some physicians I work with go in wearing the full gowns, the face shield, the N95, the goggles, the hair covering, the shoe covering. So some physicians go in like that. I go in just wearing a regular mask and and a pair of gloves. Um, I've been in rooms with people with COVID without any mask whatsoever, and I've done pretty fine with it. So um, part of this is when I think of how what has happened is the news media has told everybody, you know, how fatal coronavirus is. And it is. I've seen people die from it. And so I don't want to discount that at all. But I've also seen people who come in and have virtually no symptoms or minimal symptoms. And they're frightened to death because they've listened to the news media and what happens with Corona. So it's not uncommon. I'll see people come in. And they'll be, hey, doc, I think I have corona. This is the symptoms I have. And I'll tell them, yeah, sounds like you have corona. Let's test you. And picture this. You come in with coronavirus to the ER. And now you see a physician who is donned in basically like a space suit and is afraid to touch you. Yet you, you have a mild disease at this point. And that doctor is now trying to convince you that you're going to be okay to go home and take care of this at home, even though you have two kids at the house and you have a wife at the house. And now that physician is going to tell you, you know what, you're doing great, you look wonderful, you're young, you're healthy, you're probably going to do well. Here's the things to watch out for. And if any of this happens, please come back immediately so we can check you out again. Now, if somebody who's dressed up in a spacesuit and is petrified to touch you or be in a room with you is trying to tell you that you're okay, are you going to believe that? How are you going to feel when you leave the ER? So especially with patients that I know have coronavirus that I know I'm going to send home, because when you walk in the room, you can typically tell, is this person hospitalized? 
do they need treatment and then go home, or am I just going to blow them out the door with some mm-hmm. reassurance? If they fall into that category of I'm going to listen to their lungs, check their pulse ox, maybe get a chest X-ray, um, tell them that they're doing fine, I'm going to go in, and at least sometime during that visit, I'm going to let them see my face. I'm going to sit down, not right next to their bed. I'm going to sit down on a chair in the corner of their room, and I'm going to sit there and talk to them and let them see my face, let them see my smile. I'm going to joke with them, and I'm going to put them at ease, and then I'm going to send them home. Do you have concerns that I uh, – I feel like I, I read you – I read that you wrote this, but correct me if I'm wrong – are there people who were going into uh, hospitals with like strep throat, asthma, that kind of thing? Are they being put into COVID units despite not being tested or did they have this, they have severe symptoms of what COVID is and they don't wait. They just throw them into the units and then they end up getting COVID because of that. Is that true? It is true. It is true. Nowadays, if you come in with congestive heart failure, because some of the symptoms can be mimicked by COVID. You know, you can see the the fluid on the lungs at the bases in both CHF and in um, COVID. If we can't exclude COVID and you're sick, you're going to get sent to a COVID unit. Um, I had a patient who had asthma. He's a, he's a non-compliant. He doesn't take good care of his asthma. Um, he's frequently in the ER with it, and he's frequently in with severe asthma. He came in like that. Um, he was going to need to be in the hospital and probably in an intensive care unit. I called a local hospital. Chest x-ray didn't look like coronavirus. His lab work didn't look like coronavirus. His presentation was a standard asthma, and they wanted me to do a COVID swab on him. I agreed to do one, and then the, the transfer nurse was like, hey, since you're doing a corona swab, um, you need to send him through the surge line, which is our state line where we send all corona patients through. And then That's they distribute them. That's crazy to me. Right. And so I got pissed, absolutely pissed. And um, this is a hospital I use all the time. It's a hospital that knows me well. I know those people on the line. Never met them personally, but I've talked to them on the phone enough to where I know them. And the, the nurse is like, oh, Dr. Doppel, I know you're so upset about this. Just when you call the COVID line, tell them we have a COVID unit bed available and tell them that you would like to request this, and we'll put them, we'll put them in our bed. And I'm like, hold it, wait. You're going to put this person in a COVID unit. Yeah, until we can exclude COVID. And this is a guy who's already in bad shape without coronavirus. He's going to die if he gets coronavirus. Let me ask um, you a question. If you, when, you get, when you get put into a COVID unit, despite the fact that everybody's got PPEs on, it's still highly contagious in there? Because that's a thing? Who knows how we're getting this? I mean, it, it's, it's very bizarre. I, I've seen people come in who have stayed in their house and they have one family member who goes out a couple times a week to the grocery store and that family member never got sick yet person gets coronavirus. Then you have individuals that work like myself who work in, work in an ER and you, I've described what I do with my personal protective gear. And I went all this time without um, getting coronavirus. 
I know it's wild. So who knows? So I, um, I don't know. I got sick this week. I thought I had COVID. All my symptoms were similar to COVID starting last Friday, but I've been tested three times during this week and all three tests have come back negative for COVID. So it's kind of, kind of almost frustrating and perplexing. Ozzie, I, you know? I was frightened. I was frightened for you, man. I really was. I was like, Oh my it's, God, this is, this is a story that's writing itself. This is awful. And it's, it was weird. This is, so, so I'm still not convinced I did not get coronavirus. I think that sometimes people have to get multiple tests before they finally get one to come positive. I, I have a friend whose mother tested, po- tested six times before she finally got a positive. So that's kind of perplexing. But um, what I yeah, went through was this week, um, I'd say this is probably the fourth or fifth week illness I've ever had in my life but that being said mono is worse I got some neurotoxin from some fish once that I ate from Mexico that caused a nasty illness Um, so that was worse than coronavirus Um, the flu from like 2012 probably treated me worse than this illness I had but um, now I'm just feeling that kind of like post sickness kind of fatigue and and just a little, little achy, but it's there for a few days. It, it, my chest hurt terribly. It hurt to breathe. I had a horrible, uncontrolled cough. Just getting up and like walking around my yard was enough to where I had to go lay down and, and get some rest. And I'm typically a very active guy. So, so I'm glad, I'm glad you're a lot better, Ozzy. Yeah, I feel a lot better. So I'm kind of perplexed. I don't know if I actually had COVID or not. I'm going to probably get an antibody test. Yeah, you should. That'll give you definitive answers. Right, because all my antibody tests so far have been negative. So you've had had them before. You know what's crazy about this disease, this virus? Um, Last week, um, someone in my family's brother, um, best friend of their whole life, he's 51 years old, in good shape, fit, I've never had any previous health conditions at all. He got COVID and died at 51 years old. His mother, who I'm not sure how old she is, but I'm assuming if he was 51, she's probably in her 70s, maybe even 80s. She also got COVID, healthy woman, um, and didn't affect her at all. And she's fine now today. But yet she lost her 51-year-old son to COVID, who had no health conditions whatsoever. It's the wildest thing. It's I think that these kinds of cases... there's no cut and dry path to how this is, what it is, where it's going to go. And I think that's what freaks people out the most and what leads people down the road to conspiracies and to think that this thing's a hoax and it's made up. And I mean, everything that you tell me, Ozzy, all the reasons why you want, why you think masks are, are bullshit, why you think the shutdown is bullshit. You actually have a legitimate thought out really, really, um, What's the word I'm trying to think of? You just have you, have you have great ideas and reasons why. You have logic behind your reasoning, whereas a lot of these people that I come across on the Internet don't. Um, and that was why I thought it was important to have you on. So I just wanted to make that point. Yeah. And I do appreciate that your, your nuanced explanations on why you think that shutdowns are the way they are, why you think masks are the way they are. So I just wanted to make that point. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes I feel it is a little disingenuous when I argue against masks and then I concede, yeah, I think they could kind of slow the spread. But part of my argument is 
is following the spread necessarily a good thing? It's a good thing if your community is overstressed, um, if your hospital is overstressed, or if you really think that we're only weeks or months away from a vaccine and then we'll be able to take it. If you have a definitive reason of, um, of wanting to slow the spread, then, um, then masks might help with that. But I also think that they're just going to help prolong the inevitable. So, and the same amount of people at the end, the area under the curve is going to be the same. And if we're going to have X amount of infections, I'd rather get those X amount of infections over with and get on with life. Are we going to get along with life? Is this, when are we going to get back to normal? Well, and that goes, if we keep on with, partial shutdown, we keep on with mask mandates, and we don't go back to school, I I bet you we're going to be in this for another 18 months, another 24 months, just like we are right now. If we just suck it up and take our medicine, take our beating, I think we could be done with it um, in 2020. And here's another thing about slowing the curve and, and with masks helping to slow the spread. Let me run a scenario by you. Um, Here we are in the summer, you know, when there's relatively low amount of other illnesses to begin with. And if we had a boom of COVID right now, we could get through that and handle it. Now let's say we are successful in slowing this down. And here comes January and February when you see an uptick in pneumonias naturally, you're going to have a flu. And let's say we have a novel flu come through this year, not one of our typical run-of-the-mill flus, and we're still dealing with COVID. If you end up getting a novel flu that your body has never seen before, that our community hasn't seen before, and you get COVID at the same time, I think you're host. Our hospitals are going to be saturated um, the people who get the flu and COVID are going to be basically black tagged and are going to be dying in hallways. That's incredible. Do you think that um, we might see an Operation Gridlock type protest come back? Why don't you think there are people out there like, ah, let's talk about this for a moment. Berlin, Germany had what, a million people out on the streets yesterday? I know. Isn't it? I saw that. That's beautiful. They were protesting their own mask mandates and their own shutdown in Germany because they're right now in the whole country of Germany. Their numbers are, are down really, really down. But in the capital, the numbers have gone up. So I'm not sure, you know, what to, I, don't, I don't know Germany politics. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure what's going on there. But I do know that a million people came out yesterday with no mask altogether. That's the largest protest I've seen in a long time. What's your what's your take yeah. on that, Ozzy? I was kind of happy to see that, to be honest with you. I think, yeah, you're going to see an uptick in in viral infection, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. As long as you're not seeing an uptick in deaths and an oversaturation of the hospital, a certain amount of people are going to die. I mean, I, I've kind of, how I joke around about this, and I'll, I'll say this kind of in a joking manner, but kind of in a half-serious manner, too. If um, I was in charge of things, you know, part of the stimulus money I would take, I would pass some more stimulus money and I would give a bunch of money to Metallica and Tool 
and whatever big rap artist is around today, maybe a couple of country artists. And I would send them out on the road to do festivals all throughout the United States. If you're under 35 years of age, $5 tickets and $2.50 beer. If you're over, if you're over 55, you can't go. Well, what about if you're fat, you can't go? Yeah, maybe if you're fat and diabetic, you can't go either. Or if you're over 55, just just to kind of pat it. And then you'd get out there, you'd see a bunch of young people out living their lives, doing their thing, getting coronavirus. Uh, you know, you'd have a little disclaimer at the bottom of the ticket that, you know, you may die as a result of going to this festival, but, hey, it's $5 tickets and 250 beers. Dylan, you know? are you going to that tool show or what? <laughs> He, he doesn't want I to mean, answer. <laughs> I mean, you say tool, and I'm going. I don't give a shit. Who's there? I don't give a fuck. 55, exactly. fat, doesn't matter. If I'm 55 so, and that's no fat, I'm going. So, fuck you. So, <laughs> tool is the last, the, last, the last live show I saw before all this happened. Oh, wow. I missed that one. I would, I've never seen Tool, but I'd love to. But, yeah, they're um, amazing. Yeah, so, so, I think that this slowing it down, shutting it down right now, is actually in the long run going to be counterproductive. We're changing how children look at the world. These, this, this social anxiety we're instilling on people is not going to go away. We have created an environment to where you're afraid to be around family members. Because it's those nuts, family man. members might get you sick. You're afraid to be around um, people at the grocery store because they might be a danger to you society can't survive if we're all afraid of each other and if we're yeah, paranoid I, of each other ozzy i was watching i don't know what it was i was watching an old movie on netflix and this has actually happened to me now several times over the last month specifically i watch people embrace on a mo- in a movie cringe and it's because they're not wearing masks and because they're getting so close to each other. And I'm finding myself flinch a little bit. And I'm like, oh, my God. Even I, who I do question a lot of shit, even though I may not um, voice that opinion so much online as much as you'd probably like me to. But I do question a lot of shit. And I think that I have been indoctrinated a little bit in that sense that, like, now I have uh, – every time, anytime I see someone hug or embrace, anytime I see anyone online post a, a video about them being at a resort or on the beach, I get pissed. Like it's now ingrained in me. I know, and so. isn't it sad? Where I'm, so as somebody who's seen COVID, I've seen the horrors of it. I've, you know, I went through a week where I was absolutely petrified and thinking, "Wow, I've I've been totally naive to everything that's occurring." Um, you know, I if 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 you wanted to come up and give me a hug, I'd give you a hug. If you want to shake my hand, I'll shake your hand. Um, if you want to sit right next to me um, at, a, at a restaurant, feel free to sit right next to me at a restaurant. Um, Ozzy, so, on, on, on April 19th when I met you, you were the first person who embraced me, who I let embrace me in April, and over a month. You know, and at that point, I that was a long time. Something. You know, now it's been yeah. months since I've embraced anyone besides my wife and my kids. You might yeah, be the last and person. That, <laughs> isn't that something? And um, yeah, and then so we went out, and at that gridlock, that was when um, Denver was was a hot spot. 
And in Arizona, we had no cases, really. It was just just a smolder. Um, my wife thought I was crazy that I would purposely drive two hours out of my way to go to some place that was a coronavirus hotspot. And yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> I think I was like one so of three people in that whole thing wearing a mask. Yeah, yeah, nobody was wearing a mask. And and two weeks after that, I came home to get, and I I got an antibody swab just to see if I had any antibodies for COVID, and I was negative. So, um, you know, I know nobody could co- tell me, hey, you're the one who brought it to Arizona and infected the whole state from going to lockdown in yeah, it's your, it's, your, it's your safeguard. I've actually been tested twice for that for a similar reason because I've been to so many protests. I don't want to be blamed. I don't want the protests to be blamed, you know, for tick in numbers that we're seeing right now. Although I do believe that it's probably um, not a help. And I've seen a lot of people without masks on there, but but most people are wearing masks, but not everyone, you know. Yeah, and and how I look at these masks is how I personally look at it before there was a mandate. Um, if I, yeah, I've been out the whole time and I haven't been wearing masks. Um, you know, there's, this is weird in our society. We have divided people into essential people and non-essential people, which I think is horrifically damaging. Um, you have essential people like myself and my daughter and my son-in-law who we're making more money now than, than ever before, but we're essential. Then you have, oh, you should, you, know, my you should see how much money we're making at the dispensary where I work. We are, we oh, are, doing, I can imagine. we are doing 15 times the amount that we were doing in January right now, 15 times. And, and that's all desperation. People are desperate and they're anxious and they're looking for something to, to help them get through this. And, and not that I'm against marijuana at all. I think that it has great places, but if you're using it, to cover up desperation and anxiety and fear, it's probably not a good thing. You should be using it to go out and no. enjoy the woods and using it to enjoy <laughs> exactly. the concert. You know, if you're, if you're sitting at your house smoking weed because you're anxious and afraid, that's, that's bad. If you're out smoking it because you're enjoying life, that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of enjoying life um, and, and all that, I want to just play one more clip. It's actually from Andrew Schultz, same podcast he put out. But I wanted to play this, and then we'll, uh, we'll respond to it afterwards. It's a, a minute-and-a-half clip, so hang with me. All righty. These local pharmacy boards should realize when they block access to a drug or when big tech censors information about one, they're creating the big pharma conspiracy themselves. And to all the people saying, big pharma doesn't want you to have hydroxychloroquine, Big Pharma makes hydroxychloroquine. That's like saying McDonald's doesn't want you to have a McChicken so that they can sell you McNuggets. Either way, Mickey D's is making money and you're getting colon cancer. Don't get me wrong. The pharmaceutical industry has done terrible shit like price gouging, life-saving drugs, slinging opioids like they're heroin, and making women expect dick at 60. So it's okay to question Big Pharma. It's okay to question science. Matter of fact, questioning science is the basis of science. But Dr. Stella's video isn't science at all. It's a Houston pastor demanding Fauci's piss and trust us, Stella, his pee is clean. So if we can't prove the drug is effective and it needs more research, why did this video get passed around more than a lunch lady in the NBA bubble? The answer is simple, because we want it to be true. 
we are desperate for hope, and we want to believe things are going to return to normal. Our lives have flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, so just sit right there, and I'll tell you how we became a country with bad lungs and no air. I am sorry about that, guys. I just got a little entangled. But really, if you shared that video, I don't think you're dumb. I don't think you're a science denier. I don't think you're a bad person. I just think you want your life back. You want your kids to go to kindergarten, because if you have to make one more macaroni necklace, you might be the first person to do a homeschool shooting. <laughs> See, I, 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 it was really the last part of that, that, that clip that I really wanted to, to, to bring home with our last statements that we had made. People just want to go back to normal, man. People are just so exhausted and tired of living this like alternative lifestyle that we're all of a sudden all forced to live in and guilted and shamed if we don't, you know? Yeah, and I, I think part of this is you know, government would get out of our way and let human beings make their own risk assessment and their own judgments about what's good for their life and their family, we would definitely see an uptick in cases. I'm not going to deny that. But we would see an uptick in cases among young people, among people that um, are very um, accepting of risk. I mean, part of part of who I am is I'm a, until recently I was a mountain biker and I'll ride on the edge of cliffs. I'll go out in the desert alone um, where if I fall and I'm alone, you know, it could be a life threatening situation, but I enjoy going out in the desert. I enjoy going out in the mountains when it's snowing. I enjoy, enjoy doing things that are greater risks. So I'm fairly, I'm very accepting of risk. So I should be allowed to take, whatever risk I want to take with my life. And personally, my wife is kind of the same way. Um, you know, we would uh, wear the type, hey, Disneyland tickets are $59, and there's a pan- because there's a pandemic, sure, let's go to Disneyland. And we are the type that would have went to Disneyland. And we probably would have got COVID, and we would have either lived or died, and then we'd be part of the herd. That would help protect grandma. But as things, as the narrative is sold now, we would be the ones that literally want to kill grandma. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, most people in in the world would think the opposite of that, yeah. Even though, like, isn't that just a shame that's where we've we've come? Like, I've actually had to to stop myself in moments, like, for example, when Herman Cain passed. In my head, I was like, well, fucking no shit. Like, you're an idiot. Like... You fucking, it's the same response that I give myself when someone dies um, of drunk driving. I'm like, well, fuck. You were behind the wheel drunk like an idiot. You shouldn't have been doing that. We warned you. Like, you know, so, but I said so that let because, me make a, it, oh, go on. Okay. I'm, so let me make an analogy about this. So I'm sure when you grew up, you watched like those National Geographic talking about all the animals in Africa and um, you've probably seen and familiar with the footage of, of the migration of the wildebeest. Yeah. Okay. So you have this massive herd of animals, and in order to get on with life, produce, um, they they go one area to to deliver their calves, then they move another area, and so they migrate throughout the season. So this migration is essential for their life. It's essential for the survival of their species. They've got to move. 
They can't just sit in one spot. They'll, distingu- they'll extinguish their food supply. So you have these, these wildebeests walking along, and they come across a river. The wildebeests at the front see all of the crocodiles just waiting for their meals. And they know that when they go in there, there's a fair amount of those wildebeest that are going to get eaten by the crocodiles. Those crocodiles are going to get a free meal off of some of them. So the herd stops. The, the wildebeest at the front are afraid to go any further because they see the crocodiles. They know the, the danger that's right there. Well, the herd stops. The wildebeest at the back have, have the lions that have been tracking them the whole time that is pushing them forward. Those wildebeest at the back know that the lions are going to get them if the herd doesn't start moving forward. And then you have the wildebeest in the middle who are just trapped, who really have no say. They're just going to move with the herd. Um, and, but they know they can't stay put because there's no food here. There's no water here. So they've got, they've got to move on. You know, I think in this, the, the coronavirus is our crocodiles, and it's going to get some of us. But um, stopping at that water's edge it's only gonna it's only gonna temporarily postpone them. Then once they start pushing through, the crocodiles get a few of them, and the herd moves on. Um, you know, you have lions behind us. We're gonna start seeing food insecurity. Um, we're gonna we're gonna see animals that aren't able to get to market. Um, we're gonna see massive inflation, and all of this is gonna hurt the most vulnerable of our population the most. Yeah, I know a lot of things that you've been arguing over the months isn't that the virus is going to kill people. It's that the the uh, results of our fix are going to kill people. The results of the shutdown are going to kill people. We're talking from depression to lack of food to lack of jobs to just the, the lack of economic stability. Is what is? What, there's some banging going on. It's, I don't know if it's behind you, Dylan, or Ozzy, but I'm hearing this. See, there it is again. Oh, it's not, it's not me. Dylan, are you playing Minecraft? <laughs> you sounds are playing like he's Minecraft. Remodeling the kitchen. Sounds like he's playing <laughs> Minecraft is what it sounds like. Turn that shit off. That's classic. <laughs> okay, lost, lost my train of thought there. I forgot completely what I was just telling you. Ozzy, if you could help me out there. <laughs> Well, about um, about how our fix is going to be worse than the disease. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when you when you were reading me that analogy about uh about the uh the wildebeest, I was just thinking, you know, is that kind of like what you were going going for? Yeah, it's it's going to be something else. So at this point, I think that it's just people are just going to have to get tired of it. But we've instilled so much fear into people that this is going to be a generational thing. And, you know, with how I, how I used to see the mask before they became mandated is yeah, I'd take a mask with me, but I wouldn't put it on. If I saw you out in public and you were wearing a mask, my thoughts is, hey, this person's been locked up. They've been in the house just listening to what CNN has to say. They're venturing out into the real world. So, Hey, it's a good thing. If the mask gives them security and makes them feel better about being out in public, more power to them. I'll stay away from this person. I'll give them tons of space. I'll welcome them back out into the world. If somebody was in the store 
not wearing a mask, not social distancing, not really caring one way or the other, I, I treated them in the same exact respect. I treated them wow. like it was pre-corona. No, that's that's respectable. I mean, I think that's a very reasonable approach, honestly. And but, now it's like, become such a divisive issue. Well, if you're that, going like indoors, you know, it just because you're breathing on stuff, you cough, you sneeze. I mean, if you cough and sneeze on the Goya beans I'm about to buy, and I pick up that Goya bean um, um, canister, and now I have that on my hands, I rub my nose, and now I might get it. You know, and that's the thing. You know, for indoor. For indoors, you know, yeah. we're all going to be yeah. indoors together. We just need to respect each other. And that's the thing is that like people are like, well, I'll, I I only have a point zero five chance of getting of dying from of COVID. But no one ever posted the statistics of how fast you could spread it once you have it or, you know, or, or who you, or the vulnerable people that you're giving it to who don't have that same percentage of dying as you do. Like that website that you guys have been going, people have been going to that uh, shows the percentage of their likelihood of dying from anything today and the likelihood of them dying from COVID. But I, I think that that website's just, I mean, I, it's slightly in, in, disingenuous to me because they don't tell you the likelihood of you sh- spreading it and sharing it with others. Cause most things that kill you, you can't share, you can't spread. You know what I mean? You can't, right. you can't spread your alcoholism unless you're drunk driving, but like, that's about it. You know, you're going to just slowly die from, you know, liver failure or heart disease or whatever, you know? That's my concern yeah. with this. It's, it's the spread. It's, and that's, I think, that's what but most that, people are concerned with. So that goes back to my question of what is the purpose of slowing the spread? Yeah, and that is your main thesis, is that you don't believe that, that slowing this down is helping at all. Slowing is actually um, prolonging this. It's actually continuing it. If we didn't slow it down, it had already, oh, already been over. We'd already be, we'd be at the beach. I wouldn't be doing this podcast with you, and we'd all be living our lives. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and if there is only temporary immunity, then the if we could if we could spread this around even faster, more people would be immune at the exact same time and maybe there's a bigger chance that we could extinguish it if there is only limited immunity. Yeah, my opinion is it's not it's not extinguishable. It's kind of, you know, it's just like the flu. Here in 10, 20, 30 years, we'll be getting the COVID vaccination, you know, kind of like the flu vaccination. I think that's something that'll be be a part of our lives until you know we're all dead. Who knows what it'll be like for our kids? But and that's and that brings up a real weird thing too. Is as far as like how many I, I've seen it estimated that almost thirty percent of people will not voluntarily get the um, COVID vaccination when it comes out. I'm telling you, and, Ozzy. Masks are child's play compared to the vaccine debate we're all going to have here in about a year. No kidding. And, and it's like, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any means. I mean, I get my flu shot. My kids have got their vaccinations. I've taken everything. But even at that, um, you know, if, if a COVID vaccine comes out, I'll get it when the um, health, health nurse or the hospital that I'm at at that day comes around with it and says, hey, either you take this or you can't work here anymore. And that's that going to be the like, okay, thing. Give it to me. Wait, well, because okay, you, so you would take it. I would take it. I'm, I'm not going to jeopardize my income to not take it. Yeah, the school told me that my son absolutely must get it in order to go to school, I'd give it to him. But I'm not going to rush out and stand in line to get a COVID vaccination. 
I don't know if my wife would end up taking me. I think that's going to be a thing. When I'm hiring new employees at my work, one of the one of the mandatory. I mean, at my in my position, it actually could get mandated through my state because I'm like a state employee. Work I work in the cannabis field. I'm a state employee without any of the state benefits, mind you. But they could definitely mandate saying, "Hey, you know, on top of the license and the background check that they have to have in order to work at your facility, now we're adding the vaccine." And ah, man, I mean that's that's a big deal. A lot of people are gonna have a problem with that. And and it goes back to if we're thinking that the immunity is only going to last three months, how many people are going to be willing to get a vaccine every three every months? Every three months. I don't know. It's it's so, a uncharted territory, Zazi. Uncharted territory, I think, man. I think that's kind of sinister. If if I'm the guy who creates a vaccine that every human being has to take for the next every three months for the rest of their life just to live and survive. You know what? At that point, I could probably call the president of the United States and say, hey, um, the clown didn't show up for my kid's birthday party, so I need you to be over here to, um, to put on some clown makeup and entertain my kid. And the president of the United States would be like, um, I'm at the G7 summit right now. That's okay. I'll send a jet to come get you. And, and bring, bring the prime minister of Japan with you while you're at it. And yes, sir, we'll be there as soon as we can. I know it's going to be real interesting to see. Uh, I, I actually firm, I didn't firmly believe Trump was going to um, lose in 2016, although I, I did think Hillary was going to win. I firmly believe he's going to lose this time. It'll be really interesting to see how a Biden administration tackles this COVID situation we have going on in our country. Um, but let's not get into that. Um, I, I, I have, nope, caller gone. Caller came, caller went, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I think that if Biden, he's already said he'll do like national, national mask mandates. I could see, I can see that this, we're going to have national mask mandates for two, three years. Um, we're going to go to partial schooling. God. I think this would be a fundamental change in our society forever if, um, if Biden ends up winning. So I kind of hope yeah. you're wrong, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't win either way, but Dylan, how are you doing over there, brother? How how you enjoying this conversation? Dylan is not on his I mic think, and that is okay. <laughs> I think he might've died of the COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dylan has um, died of COVID during the, the podcast about masks and shutdowns and, no, I think he's yeah he's actually gone. Um, but yeah, I I guess I just want to conclude this this great conversation that we've had um, by thanking you for taking your time out of your day and and coming on here and talking with me and Dylan. And um, I wish we had more callers, but that's okay. I mean, that's just how podcasts work sometimes. And you know, I wish you the best in everything you're doing. And man, I'd love to have you on again, Ozzy. Hi, I'd love to. We'll talk to you talk to you soon. Love you, my friend. Hey, love you too, brother. Be safe and, and keep doing what you do at that at that hospital and say and keep saving lives, man. All right, you take care. All right, take care, Adi. Right. So that concludes today's triggered and divided podcast. I'd like to thank our caller that had uh, called in and asked some really good questions. Um, I want to apologize. We had two different callers that called, and I didn't get to you in time because we were just in in depth conversation. Um, but perhaps maybe the next podcast we could get you in and. 
you could uh, holler at your boy Dylan, holler at your boy Bobby, and let us know how you feel about the world events and the current affairs of our crazy, crazy year of 2020. Um, but yeah, we're going to end this podcast this way. And I want to thank everybody for listening in and joining us during this journey. And uh, we will see you hopefully next week, but probably more or less the, the, the week after. So you guys have a wonderful weekend and make sure that you like share and talk about our page, talk about the podcast and tell everyone, you know, you know, take, take a listen and, um, and uh, yeah, you guys have a great weekend. Take care. comes from China.